Good afternoon. Today I have the lovely Jonathan with me. Hi, Jonathan. Would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Thank you very much for having me, Donna. My name is Jonathan Whitelaw. I'm the author of The Bingo Hall Detectives, uh, which is a cosy crime novel set in the Lake District following a dynamic crime-busting duo, a dynamic crime-busting mother and son-in-law duo uh, as they try and find out the murderer of a former Eurovision Song Contest contestant. <laughs> um, did you always know that you wanted to be a writer? Uh, yes, I did. I did. I, uh, I, I've been writing. Um, I've been writing stories, sort of making up stories for pretty much for as long as I can remember, actually. Um, I used to go on holiday uh, and I, I, I'd have, you know, acres and acres of Lego and Lego figures and things like that and uh, Star Wars figures. And um, when you go on holiday, you can't take all that stuff with you, obviously. So what I used to do was I used to sit by the pool or on the beach or what have you or whatever, whatever we were. Uh, and I used to write the stories that I would then act out with the action figures when I got home. Uh, and that's really my first my first sort of memory of, of, of creative writing. Not that it was, you know, not that I knew that's what it was obviously back then. Um, and that really continued, continued pretty much throughout my entire childhood. I didn't, I didn't start, I didn't start sort of properly writing until, until I was my late teens. I was still in school, sort of, you know, fifth year, sixth year at school up here in Glasgow. And, uh, and that's when I started to kind of, you know, seriously write and then continued throughout university. And, and, and I've, I've never, haven't stopped, haven't stopped at all. What made you uh, take the plunge and write to be published, I guess? Uh, well, I think it's, I think it's, it's something that I've always wanted to do, just as we're talking about there. Um, I think it's something I've always wanted to do as a job. I, I, I studied I studied psychology at university, um, and I've always been fascinated by by, by psychology. My wife's a psychiatrist, um, so you can imagine what our dinner table conversations are like. Um, or maybe you can't. Maybe that's maybe that's maybe we get lost in it. We get completely lost in these types of things. Anyway, um, but I also did a couple of creative writing courses when I was at university, and and. Um, I think it probably wasn't until uni that, that I started seriously considering, you know, maybe my work could get published um, or maybe I wanted to, 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 to go down the route of being, of being published. I mean, that's the thing about writing, you know, I, it, I, I creative writing, fiction, writing, non-fiction writing as well, obviously, but fiction writing in particular is that it's, it's meant to be read, you know, writers, people who write want people to, to, to read the stories. You know, the old adage for writers is that, you know, you write books that you want to read. Uh, and being a massive, massive reader, obviously, again, from 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 you know as, as far back as as I can recall, always always having a book in my hand or what have you. Um, you know, you want you want to write a you want to write a novel uh, that you want to read, um, and that's that's really never never left me. And I think I think uh, having that impetus to get to get published and to see the book out there and to to let people read if they want to obviously uh, never never really goes that's never really never really left me right enough but uh, um i i always find it interesting it's a good question is i always find it interesting when you speak to other writers why they you know why did you want to get published and some 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 are some are you know will come up with a lot more creative and uh, artsy answers than i've just come up with uh, and some don't some just say they want to get paid um i'm somewhere in the middle it's nice to get paid for something that you enjoy doing obviously um but also you know 
I, I just want to, I, I love a good story myself. I love to sit down and read a good story or be told a good story or watch a good story. Um, and the way you get on with that is to have as a, as a writer is to get published. So it, it just went, it just went hand in hand really. I love, um, I love hearing how writers got to write in because I'm always surprised by how many people, I'm going to say mostly men, that have started writing books as a result of a dare. All right, okay. Honestly, if wives or family dare guys to write, then they'll write a whole book and get it published. It's mad. You guys are weird. <laughs> I know. I, I, nobody's ever dared me. No, nobody's nobody's ever dared. I think people have probably tried to dare me to shut up, which is a <laughs> which would which maybe be a lot more effective. I've still not won that. You know, still not won that bit, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, I no nobody's nobody's ever nobody's ever dared me dared me to write a novel. Maybe I'm too intimidating. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's the maybe it's the it's the 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 the, the, the pointy beard. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it, I mean, it does make me laugh. And yeah, you guys will do anything to win a bear. Dare, absolutely, just, absolutely. Just win. Absolutely. Yeah. When Even it, if it's it, writing a whole book. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it reminds me of the, uh, for, for any American football NFL fans, there's a, a the, the, the now Las Vegas Raiders, their slogan is just win, baby. Which was the which was the, uh, the, the, the phrase that their rather charismatic owner used in the 60s. Um, and if that doesn't sum, sum up, a uh, mankind than uh, then I'm not I'm not quite sure we'll ever we'll ever we'll ever quite crack it. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> um, so if you were to choose one of your characters to take out for a meal, who would you choose and what would you ask them? Blimey, oh bloody hell! Uh, <laughs> that's that's a toughie. That's 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 a hard question because I, I I get I get the impression that if you ask one of them, then the rest of them will be really really offended and not want to talk to me anymore. Which, oh, it's, you know, again, psychologist, wife's a psychiatrist. Maybe that's something that we should we should we should talk over. That's a really hard one. Um, if we're going to, we're going out for a meal, I think uh, I think I'd probably go. Well, right, okay. So I've got I've got two immediate candidates. The, the, the two immediate candidates that, that spring to mind are the two lead characters from a new novel, Jason. Uh, and his mother-in-law, Amita. Um, Jason is a former journalist, um, uh, and when we meet him, he's an out-of-work journalist because the local paper that he worked at has closed down, as is happening around the world. In fact, it's not it's not just here in the UK, but it's it's uh, it's all over the world that local journalism has be, has been cut back. Um, to the to to the detriment of of obviously a lot of people who are who are losing their livelihoods, but also to you know to to local news. Um, so if we did that then at least we would have a you know we would be able to talk about journalism and, and swap war stories and and, uh, and all kinds of other uh, all the other horrible things that journalists tend to do when, when we get together on social occasions um, the other is Amita his, his mother-in-law she's she's 70 years old uh, a retiree but very very active within the community the aforementioned bingo hall club uh, Penrith Bingo Club, the uh, WI, you know, anything. She's the best connected 70-year-old you're ever likely to, 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 to come across. A lot better connected than Jason is, and he's a journalist, and it's kind of his job. And that was a bit of a laugh that we that we had uh, in the process of the writing. I think if I went for dinner with Amita, she'd probably tell me to comb my hair, and I should have worn a tie, and, uh, and you know, uh, sit up straight and all the rest of it and actually probably make me a lot better and a lot more functional a, a, a member of, of society which is 
which which can only be a good thing. So let's 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 say uh, let's go for that. That th- it would be a one way conversation though. That's that's the thing about Amita is that you know her nickname in the book is the Sheriff of Penrith, um, and you know it's it's her patch. It's uh, things are done on her terms. Uh, it would be a one way conversation, and and I think I'd probably come away from the evening. I, it, it would be for my benefit, but I would feel that I'd been put through the ringer, uh, and I would have a you know a lot better posture and a lot better table manners and probably be smarter for the uh, for for the for the for the evening. So let's go for that. How many times do you get to go for dinner uh, and and come away from the evening with better posture, a lot smarter, and uh, and and be told how bad your manners are? <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't sound like my kind of evening, actually. But absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely, no. Um, do you hide any secret jokes or messages or Easter eggs in your books? Oh, you can't say, can you? You're not allowed to say unless someone unless someone spots it. I, do you know? I love an Easter egg. Uh, I love an Easter egg in uh, in every, anything and everything. You know, I love um, you know talking about Star Wars and stuff like that. Obviously, Star Wars films and games and books and stuff like that are loaded with Easter eggs that are references to other Star Wars things and, and beyond. Uh, I try to add the I try to add the odd thing in. I, I I I'm always I'm always looking to put one in. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. The thing about an Easter egg for it to work really really well, it can't feel shoehorned in. You know, you can, it can't be you know custard pie in the face obvious because otherwise it's not an Easter egg. Then it's 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 it. As the writer, you want to always feel that you've done it. Uh, naturally, you know, organically, and if someone comes across it, the, 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 for me, that for me, the, the trick with doing an Easter egg in, in 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 my books would be that if someone gets it, fantastic. If someone doesn't see it, then that's okay. You know, you shouldn't be you shouldn't be hoping that people find the Easter egg. If they find it, that 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 should that means that you've you've done the job correctly. But if they haven't found it, then 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 all the better. Um, and it means that you have to be very, very careful because, like I said, you don't want to you don't want to completely telegraph it and say here it is on page you know two hundred forty seven line seven fourteenth word. That's not a that's not a neon sign by the way to any Easter eggs in the Bingo Hall detectives because I don't uh, I can't think off the top of my head if there whereabouts any Easter eggs are, which is probably a good thing because if I can't remember where they are, then then you know, I'm never going to accidentally give it away. But I definitely think. Um, I definitely think if it's if it's done uh, if it's done correctly if it's done really really well that's the reward isn't it it's it's the reward for a for a reader um, or a viewer you know watching movies or playing video games or what have you that you know when you get it you go ah that's that's that thing you know um, you don't want to be you don't want to be going oh that's that thing and you know they clearly thought they'd be really really clever and add it in but I worked it out <laughs> really really easily so it's really hard it's it's, it's actually really really tough to do. Um, there are some brilliant authors who do it really, really, really well. Ben Aranovich is, is, is springs to mind. You know, his all of his books have got references to other little things. Um, I, I mentioned at the at the the, the launch for the Bingo Hall Detectives that my wife and I have started watching the Gilmore Girls again. So I, I, it was something that I had watched before, um, and I'm hooked. I'm com- I'm completely hooked. So we're about four series series in that, at time of recording. Uh, and there's loads and loads of little references uh, to, to things. Uh, we were watching an episode last night, and it was uh, someone mentioned that Stairway to Heaven by Led Zeppelin is on Led Zeppelin three, not two. And I said to Henry, but it's not on. It's not on. It's not on either of those. It's on Led Zeppelin four. And then literally the next line of dialogue was, "Oh yeah, that's incorrect. It's actually on Led Zeppelin four. And just little things like that. You know, it was like I preempted that. Um, 
So it's yeah. I mean, it, nobody wants a custard pie in the face Easter egg. Um, everybody wants to wants to be able to work it out and and feel that you've worked it out. And I'm no different. And and it makes me it makes me really nervous as and when I do try to put Easter eggs in the in, into my books. But I do try. I do try. Yeah, as a reader, I love them. Um, I can't remember who it is. The whole time you've been talking, I'm trying to think. Um, there was a guy that used um, the names of because he wrote sort of I think in Victorian era era, and he used the names of like Jack the Ripper victims or killers and stuff. And I saw right, I see. Um, I see. And I was he said I was one of the only people that had spotted that, and I was like, oh, right. that's cool. But Excellent. yeah, I love, love them. Excellent. That's really good. Well, it's even better, of course, when when you do work out the Easter egg and you are the only one that does it. That's the, the and again, that's rewarding for the writer as well. You know, it's it, it's that it, it, there's no there shouldn't be any competition to keep something like that hidden because you want you want an Easter egg to be found and, and then actually, arguably, the less people that find it, the better the better it is. Yeah, more specialists. Oh, and then you've got on the other hand, I read um, a book by Brian Price, his second book, and he's put in over thirty. Um, right. And to win um, some weird chocolates like Strychnine Surprise or something like from I this, see. this right. company. Okay. So, but again, that was kind of fun. It made the book longer. To of course, <laughs> of course, absolutely. If, if there's if there's that sort of incentivized, I suppose that's that's it, isn't it? Is, is that there is probably a limit? You know, there's no sort of middle ground when it comes to when it comes to an Easter egg. You either have tiny little ones that are that are really really hard to find, or you load it with loads that, and then make it. That's a really good idea. I really, I really like that. That's a sort of modern day uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, <laughs> quite literally, quite literally. Yeah. I mean, even the name of the company. I mean, it's still ongoing. I can't remember um, exactly what it's called, but even the two names he's called it uh, uh, Easter Eggs. I think anyway. Right. But just Excellent. even sayings and stuff. Yeah, it was very clever. Excellent. He's too clever for his own good, that guy. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. Not to me, unfortunately, but it happens. I know. Some people, they really, yeah. Anyway, that's I know. what I'm saying. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> um, what's the most interesting thing you found out researching your books? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I love research. I, I, I love trivia. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a proper trivia a junkie. Um. And that's a great thing about uh, about about research is that it's just it's just an opportunity to brush up on your brush up on your trivia. Um, before my before my son was born, um, like a lot of a lot of my wife's friends all got pregnant around about the same time, uh, and before the, the the first the first of the next generation were born, uh, we used to do a Monday night quiz in Glasgow, and it was really really tough. It was a, it was a pub called the Sparkle Horse every Monday night. Um, and I would highly recommend it. It's back. It's back now after lockdown, and it's really, really hard, and it's notoriously hard. But we used to we used to go every Monday night, and it was great fun, absolutely fantastic fun. And the questions there used to be used to be really, really, really tough. And it got to the stage where it started out as a bit of a lark. You know, the, the, there'd be sort of four of us or six of us would go and and you know we'd have a drink and, and and enjoy each other's company and also play the quiz. Got to the stage where we were all doing research before. For every Monday night to make sure that we were uh, we were going to be in the in, in the hunt for the title. We never ever won it. We came, I think the best we came was third. But there was quite a lot of regular teams and stuff like that. And actually, funnily enough, another another writer friend who I didn't realise at the time, uh, a chap called Neil Williamson. He's a fantastic science fiction and fantasy writer. I didn't realise he was in one of the teams at the uh, at the time, and it wasn't until like maybe two thirds of the 
you know, two thirds of the year that we'd been playing it, that I, I saw him up at the bar and said, Neil, what are you doing here? And he's like, oh yeah, by the way, I'm part of that other team that's been, you know, kicking your arse for the last, <laughs> for the last, <laughs> the last day, two, two thirds of the year. Um, but in terms of the, in terms of research, in terms of what I found out research, the, the most recent book, um, the Bingo Hall Detectives, as I mentioned earlier on, the, the victim is, a, or was a Eurovision Song Contest singer way back in the 60s. Uh, now, um, I've been doing a, a couple of events, doing a couple of talks and things like that as a result of the uh, of the book coming out. And I've mentioned that I am not a Eurovision fan. Um, and that normally, it's, it's normally a kiss of death, actually, to, 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 to most, if not all, audiences, because I, I've been, you know, rotten fruit has been thrown at me in real life because I've said this. I've been completely excommunicated from the rest of the, from the rest of society, really. I appear to be in the minority when it comes to saying that I don't like the Eurovision Song Contest. Um, I always add, the, I always add the caveat that there is a, there's good reasoning for this because it was always growing up in the 1990s. It was always on, obviously, on a Saturday night, and it meant that the one time a year that it was on, uh, Noel's House Party wasn't on, and I used to love Noel's House Party. And you know, it didn't matter that I'd watched it for weeks up until that point. I would then watch it again weeks after that point. The the week that it, you know the Eurovision was on, that was it. Completely, completely. Uh, I, I was, I was tainted, tainted forever. Anyway, maybe it was, maybe this is a subconscious me trying to make amends for 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 loathing the the Eurovision Song Contest for for all these decades. That's why it's been included in the very fondly been included in the in my new book. But um, part of part of the research involved one thing that I agreed with my publishers was that we needed a song title for what the a fictional song title for what the, the fictional singer sang in the in the late 60s and that meant me going through decades hundreds of competition entries and you know entries that didn't make it to the to, to the final stage to try and come up with a to try and come up with a with a with with something that sounded genuinely like it would have been sung in 1968 at the Eurovision Song Contest by by Great Britain, um, and uh, I'm I'm quietly pleased. I'm quietly pleased with the with with the with what we settled on, what we finished, because I think it I think it's spot on. I'm not going to spoil it by giving it away, um, but I'm quietly <laughs> pleased that that we got there. It was worth it. It was it was it was completely worth it. And what I will say, I you know, I, I, for for the record. The Eurovision Song Contest in 2022 because it's it's next month, isn't it? It's May. It's every it's every May. It's a lot better than it was when I watched it in the 90s. You know, it was all wobbly sets and and uh, uh, and and kind of dodgy phone and you know phone taps from from you know wherever. Um, now it's like a proper proper slick production that's actually a very very spectacular show. And I and the thing is, I never miss it. I mean, as much as I as much as I don't like it, I never miss it. I could, I couldn't. I think there was there was a there was a year was a couple of, a couple of years ago again pre pandemic that um, we were at a wedding uh, that Saturday and I I missed it and like I felt like you know I I I, I felt naked because I hadn't seen it that year and it it took me months. I was like you know what why am I feeling so odd? Oh that's right I missed the Eurovision. <laughs> so it's like yeah it's it's a love hate relationship. It's a love hate hate is a hate love hate relationship i think is what it uh, hate love hate love relationship that's what it is there we go there's a tongue twister <laughs> <laughs> i know it is a weird thing isn't it i mean it's mm. so 
um, you know, everyone sticks together and we never get any points. So, yeah, absolutely, still, absolutely, just, yeah, absolutely. What, what, one, of, one of my one of my favorite bits always. I always prefer that. I always prefer when the totals come in. You know, when 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 they cut to whatever, and I love that because it goes on. I mean, it goes on for days. This goes on for days. This competition feels like it goes on for days, and I love that because you know. There are huge parts of Eastern Europe that the sun's starting to rise by the time they get round to them to say, right, well, what are your points? And it's like, again, you know, this has been going on so long that it's dawn in, in, in certain parts. But yeah, it's good, it's good fun. It's good fun. Yeah, bless, bless it. <laughs> bless it, yeah, exactly. God, God help us. Um, even though you wrote right cozy crime you still have to kill your characters but if yes. you were to be a fictional killer how would you kill your victims oh blimey um <laughs> see this is the thing about writing cozy crime is that you know uh i was i was asked a couple of a couple of weeks ago you know it's it, it, it's still crime at the end of the day you know what can can crime ever be cozy and i suppose the answer is no it's not that the, the, the thing about writing cozy crime is that you just don't have to you just don't have to go into to uh, hard details and and the go you, you know you know ne you never see the figurative knife go in you know as uh, uh, as they say um because i'm actually quite squeamish i'm quite a squeamish person this is this is going to sound again you know my wife's a doctor and and you know she's got no problem with blood and and all that carry on that you see on these fantastic tv shows 24 hours nanny and all that but I've got a very, very weak stomach when it comes to this stuff. Maybe that's why I write cozy crime. Maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe, maybe I just don't have the, I just don't have the grits to, uh, to, to, to get through, to get through all the, all the, the, the kind of blood and gore. Um, I think though, to that end, I think I'd probably be a poisoner. I, th I think I, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't like the, I don't think, I don't think I like the idea of shooting someone or, 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 or stabbing someone. I think that's too. That's that's too close. I don't want to don't want to get too close. Maybe maybe you know some some horrid horrid powder in their you know tea or in their dinner or or over the course of you know many many years doing something like that. Some would say that you know my constant droning on uh, during interviews like this is is the is is a slow form of torture. Uh, and and that would that would be the method that would be the method of 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 uh, of, of killing. But no, I think. I think I'd be a poisoner. I think, yeah, I, I, it, it's it's sneaky, isn't it? It's it's a sneaky, and you stand a very good chance of getting away with it as well, don't you? Because it could, ha you know, it could ha it could have happened at any point at any time. You know, it's it's not. There's no evidence then because it's usually consumed. Yeah, poison, poison, horrible, horrible, okay. horrible. Or you can do between their toes or behind their ears because the chances are they wouldn't check for it in the that's well, I know about these things, obviously. That's <laughs> the, well, listen, you hang about with crime writers, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna start thinking that way. Believe me. I've done Absolutely. a forensics degree as well, so. All right, okay. Well, there you go. Then you, you'll know better than anybody. You know better than anybody, and you've got that. You know, you've got the, you've got the certificate there that proves that you're not. You know, that proves that you, you're clearly above suspicion because you know it's too obvious. See, I, I like that. That's the that's the key. That's the key to crime writing. The particular cozy crime is that you've got to have loads and loads of suspects. That every suspect's got to be legitimately a potential suspect, but also they've also got to have a legitimate reason to to not be the killer. And that's it. Above suspicion, that's what you want. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, totally not why I took a degree, obviously. <laughs> the long game, absolutely. Yeah, it fucking was in the end as well. <laughs> I'll bet. I'll bet. Absolutely. I did. I only graduated. 
not quite a month ago. So, oh, right. oh yeah. congratulations. Congratulations. <laughs> Fantastic. Excellent. Yeah, got there in the end. <laughs> um, so if you were to be fictionally murdered, who would you want to solve your case? <sighs> oh, that's a good one. Oh, that's a really, really good one. You try not to think about your own death, don't you? Not on, a, on a sort of day-to-day basis. Uh, even crime writers, even as crime writers, try not to think about think about, think about death on a, on a regular basis. Uh, even though it's a bit of a it's a bit of a uh, occupational hazard. Um, well, you've got you've got you've got sort of the obvious candidates, don't you? You know, you've got like Miss Marple and, and Poirot and Sherlock Holmes. You know, they are the they are the sort of the you know they are the the they always get their man or woman, you know, they, they, they know what they're doing, don't you? That's that's what you want. You want someone, you don't want someone to blunder through an investigation and then it's just a, they just sort of accidentally come across it, you know. I suppose technically I should say I want I want Jason and Amateur because, you know, I'd like to think having created them and putting them through all of that, they, you know, they, they would turn their hand to be able to catch my my killer. It's, it's kind of the least that they can do, you know, given that, you know, I created them and all the rest of it. So that, that's that's my that's my that that's that's my brutally honest answer is the one that I want chasing an amateur. Um, I think if I get another shot at it, am I allowed? Am I allowed two? They don't necessarily have to team up. I'll go. I'll go for a second one. I think I'd maybe go for Jessica Fletcher from a uh, murder she wrote. And the reason I picked Jessica Fletcher is that no crime in, in murder she wrote, no crime is too heinous, no crime is too complicated. And no event or no, you know, social occasion or indeed any reason why she should not be there, that never stops her from being in the room and talking to the murderer and finding the murderer. You know, she is quite frankly the best sleuth in the history of this planet. And I also think she murdered her husband. I think I think the murder, the murder comma she wrote, I think the title, I've got I've got this theory. I I, I say this to friends all the time. And my wife's bored to the back teeth of hearing this theory, but I think that I think she's a murderer, and I, I think that's why I think that's why she knows because she's crossed the line. She killed Mister Fletcher that you never see, and uh, and and she knows she knows what she's doing. You know, she's she knows what she's doing. But yeah, I mean, seriously, I love I love Murder Show. I grew up watching it. It was always on a Sunday afternoon in our house, uh, and. But yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter what it is. Like she's been to video game conferences, you know, for for for, for a retired for, for a retiree who lives in Cape Cod. What was she doing at a video game conference in Los Angeles at the time that someone was murdered? I tell you what, if you see her walking through the room, you better look out because somebody's gonna die, you know, fairly soon. And you're probably gonna be suspected of it if it's not you. So yeah. There you go. I, absolutely. I did once see, I understand that there's a there is a Miss Marple film. I think maybe from the seventies, maybe the mid seventies, mid to late seventies, and Angela Lansbury. It's pre, it's pre, uh, it's pre Murder She Wrote, and Angela Lansbury plays Miss Marple, and I thought that's it in it. Jessica Fletcher playing Miss Marple. I mean that that film should have lasted ten minutes. That, that, that should have been a ten minute film. That crime was solved as soon as the you know as soon as, as soon as she was cast. That was it. Bang, done, done and dusted. Done. Ne- yeah. Next one, please. Next, what's next? Next in the list. Oh yeah, brilliant. Yeah, you can't beat Murder She Wrote. You can, you can. I think it's my favorite. I think I think it's my favorite of all that. You know, you, you know those those brilliant TV detectives. I think Murder, Quincy, Columbo. Uh, oh, I like the Rockford Files. I, I always I always enjoyed the Rockford Files because all these all these shows were were repeated ad nauseum in the in the nineties on the BBC, on BBC and then Channel Five started picking them up. And they're still on now. I mean, you can turn. You can put you can put them on. They'll be on some channel at some point. Just now, it's it's great. It's wonderful. Really, really good stuff. 
yeah oh yeah we were a Columbo household I think excellent um, and that is still on I've seen it in passing I am um, tend to watch Diagnosis Murder now <laughs> oh that's a classic as well uh, the, the 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 Van Dyke boys solving the uh, solving it. It's Barry, isn't it? Barry Van Dyke. That's his that's his son, Barry. Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> it's um. I, I spoke to I spoke to a writer friend of mine who shall remain anonymous um to protect the guilty, but they'd never seen Columbo. They they they'd never seen it. Never seen Columbo, and they didn't. The thing was, they didn't they didn't know they didn't know the, the, the shtick behind it. Of course, with Columbo, you see the murder happen, and then it's all about the investigation. That's the that's the sort of um. That's the sort of of a uh, that's the mystery. Um, and they they've been talking about toying with an idea. Um, and and it sounded you know very Columbo esque. And I said, oh, a bit like Columbo, you know, but not not in a bad way. You know, far from it. But not like because I, I I actually think there should be more of that type of a uh, that type of in, in crime fiction that type of investigation where you know the reader knows right at the start of the murder is, and it's all about being able to work out the you know untangle the lies and get around the the, the sort of you know the perfect crime because that's what it was that was the that was always the enduring appeal of, of Columbo was that it was it was great to see people put under pressure and constantly trying to get you know dig themselves even further and further into the into the hole. Uh, and I had to, that was the thing, I had to explain what Columbo was. And you know that way where it's just been such a massive part of, of everybody's lives for the last like 40, 50 years. How do you sum up Columbo? How do you how do you tell someone who's never seen Columbo? First of all, was how have they never seen Columbo? But secondly, how do you how do you uh, how do you sum up something that's you know 50 years of, of a, a cultural cultural pillar? I, I don't think I did a very good job. I don't. I don't think I should have been the one that was. I don't, I don't think. I don't think that job should have fallen to me. I'll be perfectly honest with you. <laughs> I'd say too with carry on films. Weirdly, so all right, okay. Few regularly has never seen a carry on film. Oh, and then, um, we're part of this book group, and she, all of us were like trying to describe why carry on films were amazing, and yeah, yeah. all of us were just like we couldn't really. Can't, you can't like, pin you it. No, no, no. To, yeah, you just got to just watch them. <laughs> Just, yeah, just go and watch them. Exactly. Yeah. Just go and watch them. Yeah. And, and maybe not be too offended by the humour now because that's cause they're, <laughs> they're, pretty they're pretty dated. Yeah. It's, it is pretty shocking. Like. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. Blimey. <laughs> How did we get there anyway? Oh, I don't know. Talking. I don't know. Apologies. It was my fault. Did I answer the question? What was it? Well, I, I think I answered the question. Yeah, I, yeah. You we'll did. just see. Yeah, I did. Fine. We'll, we'll yeah, just see. Yeah, totally. <laughs> of course. That was the best answer of the day. Book. That's what we're here for. Yeah, that that thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, since you have become a published author, what's been your favourite first? Oh, my favourite first. Um, I think the when, when you when you first hold when you first hold a physical copy of your book when it's when it's first been published that's that's a pretty special moment. I always remember that my debut came out in twenty fifteen, and it was late twenty fourteen when I got the when I got the proofs when I got our proof. Um, and I was travelling back between uh, for work between Glasgow and Edinburgh, and I'd met my publisher. They'd given me a, a given me the proof copy of it, and I was like, I was really excited. So I then put it back in my bag and had to travel back into the centre of Glasgow to get on the train to go back to Edinburgh because I was staying there at the time. Uh, and I remember being really, really, really excited because I hadn't actually properly flicked through it yet and looked at all the different parts of it. And I, I sat down on the I sat down on the train, and I made sure that you know. It, it, 
waited till we started moving that I wasn't going to get disturbed. And then I got the book out and, and, and that, that was, that was pretty special because it was at that point, it was a whole build up of, of, you know, um, almost about six, seven years worth of hard work, essentially, uh, not necessarily just writing the book, but, you know, trying to get published and educate myself in the publishing industry and, and, and wanting to be a part of this because at the end of the day, it is an industry. Um, and I always say this to people that, you know, I'm constantly asked, what's the best advice that you can give to people that, that want to, that want to be published writers. And my advice is always the same is that, you know, remember that this is a business, remember that it's an industry, you've got to have a good story. You've got people to write, obviously, uh, and you've got to write, you know, there's no getting around it. If you want to be a writer, you've got to write. Um, learning about how this industry works the ins and outs of it what's expected of you who to ask the you know the, the relevant questions to what you know what is on your shoulders and what your responsibilities as the writer is and are throughout the throughout the whole process and it just felt really really nice it was it was a lovely it was a lovely feeling because it was an accumulation of all of that of, of that whole you know build up to that to that one moment um i think probably my favorite first Though, uh, as nice as that was, I think I think my favourite first was maybe the first time that I got um, like feedback from a reader, uh, as in like not just like a review on Goodreads or or or, or what have you. As in, I was I was emailed. It was essentially a direct message that I'd gotten from from a reader, um, and they said to me, I always remember, it, <clears throat> I always remember it, it was my it was my second novel that was out in twenty eighteen. It was uh, Hellcorp. Um. And uh, the reader said that she'd been in a bit of a reading funk for about a year, coming come, come close to a year. Uh, she'd not been able to pick up, you know, pick up anything and really finish it. Um, and uh, she, she was struggling with that, essentially. You know, it had it, it, been really, really tough for her because she'd been a massive reader all her life and she'd, she'd been... She, she loved reading she she thoroughly enjoyed it and it had gotten to the stage where she couldn't even just she couldn't even pick a book to, to try and start it had gotten so bad um and she said that a friend of hers had recommended Hellcorp, which was out in 2018 now this was only maybe about three four weeks after after the book came out uh and she said that that was the first book that she'd read cover to cover in and yeah and probably just over a year i think given you know all the kind of the the, the time scale of her fallen out of, out of love of reading and she thanked me she said that she was so grateful for a friend that had recommended the novel that she'd been able to pick it up and read it cover to cover and it had completely you know put her entirely back on the on the the the, the tracks for for wanting to read and she wanted to thank me i of course said to her i mean it, it was it, it was a it was a total emotional you know bombshell for me because up until that point i hadn't really i hadn't really considered the, the sort of you know the power of words that that type of thing and, and being a writer being a being a reader, being a writer as well, you know, you almost take that for granted as a as as a as a writer because as we were chatting about um, at, at the start of this conversation, it's it's you know a lot of it is that you sit down and write the book that you want to read as a as a reader. Um, and I hadn't really thought about that. I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about the impact that my work could have on on anyone. I was just and remain just so grateful that anybody would consider to to pick it up to read it, let alone be in a position like that where she'd been struggling with with getting to with kind of you know finishing books i i think i think that i think the reason it was so i think the reason i got caught up in the sort of emotion of it was because i am such an avid reader and thankfully touch wood i've never been put in a position or found myself in a position for whatever reason and it can be you know you know yourself these things can happen they genuinely can happen 
where you can't you can't finish a book or you or you can't you just can't get your head into it and, and what have you. I've been very very lucky in that I've never really been in that position and to have been put in that position I I don't know what I would have done and the the idea that some of my work I uh, my work had been able to stop that for someone to get them back back in, on 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 the reading train was was really really very special really special and it's and it's all I always I always remember it I, any any time I've got a book coming out or any time. You know, we do interviews and things like that. I always, I always think of her, and it was really, really special. Uh, thankfully, I've gone on to have loads and loads of wonderful feedback, um, and and obviously more book, books published and things like that. And but I always, I always remember that that one email. It was, um, it was, it was pretty humbling, pretty a pretty humbling experience. Yeah, I can imagine that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, if you're able to spend a day with any author, dead or alive, who would you like to spend the day with? <laughs> oh dear. Uh, this is where I start offending a whole lot of the people that I've probably spent the day with, and they, you know, I'll start getting inundated on Twitter saying, "Well, why didn't you pick me, Jonathan? We've already, you know, we've already gone for a pint, we've already gone for lunch. What would, would do? I smell, do I stink, something like that? <laughs> these are going to get me into trouble. These these, these questions, Donna. Um, well, what we'll do is then we'll, we'll pipe for an author who's no longer with us, shall we? We'll uh, we'll go we'll go uh, we'll go for someone, and that means that you know I'll I'll uh, I'll get away with it, hopefully. I think an author that I'd like to spend the day with and why probably George Orwell and not for the obvious reason of him being considered you know um, a great of of science fiction and, and fiction in general one of you know one of the all-time best I think it's mostly because I've always struggled to get into his stuff and he's a former journalist obviously I don't mean former as in like he's you know, no longer with his former, but he was a he was a journalist before he was a before he was a writer. Um, I don't know. I've just never I've never been able. I don't know what the big fuss is. I don't like. I, I get it. I I get why so many people are really really fond of his work, and I get that. But like you know, I tried to. I remember I was at school and Animal Farm was on one of the reading lists for for potential review. Um, sort of second year, third year, something like that. So what you're about 14, 14, 15, if that. Uh, and I tried to have a go at it, um, and I just couldn't get it. I just like I, you know, I, I I almost acknowledged that I was a bit too young for it at the time. Like I I got what it was trying to say, and I and I I did. I, you know, funnily enough, I remember at the time thinking this is maybe something that I should come back to when I'm a bit older, and maybe I can appreciate you know all the commentary that's that's been made here. And I remember trying 1984. I think I was just after I graduated, and I remember trying 1984. Uh, and again, it was just exactly the same. It just didn't, I just didn't get that spark. I didn't get that. I just didn't, I just didn't get it. You know, I didn't, I, I didn't get what all the fuss is about. And I actually, I actually think, I, I know that I should stress that in the event that Mr. Orwell's um, estate are watching this and are, you know, hastily calling up their lawyers, I should, st- I should state that it's, it is me, you know, it, it's, it's not, um, it's not a. It's not you. It's me. It's, a, it's not you, George. It's me. Um, it's it's a case of a. It's a case of I think a. I'm a terrible contrarian, as you could probably tell. I'm an awful, awful contrarian, and the more popular something is, the more popular something is, the the less inclined I am to ever ever enjoy it. You know, I, I get a much better enjoyment out of not enjoying it, you know, and it's terrible. And listen, don't get me wrong. There's been plenty of occasions where I've gone into it with that with that mentality, whether it's a TV show, a film or what have you. 
Um, and 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 I've completely flip flopped on on my on my philosophy, uh, quite rightly too. Some things are <laughs> some things are just great, you know, and, and that's that's it. And some, more importantly, some things are, are just popular, and that's that's cool. But I, I've always I've always been I've always been a bit a bit like that with with George Orwell. There's a couple of writers that I'm a bit like that actually. George Orwell is one of them. Ernest Hemingway is another one, uh, and Philip K. Dick, and. Lord help me! I have tried so hard to enjoy their work because I know how fondly the, all these these writers are thought of, and I and I get it. I do. I do get why they're so popular. Um, I just can't. I just can't enjoy it. I just don't fight. I just don't get any entertainment out of it. So, I would put this to to, to Mr. Orwell as we were. Um, I'd maybe wait until we were sort of two feet courses in, assuming that you know we make it that far. I, I imagine he'd probably see through me like, um, well, for want of a better expression, grandma's underpants. I think she, I think he'd, he'd see through me straight away. Uh, if we get to the steak, if we get to the steak dish and we've had a nice, you know, appetizer, a couple of drinks, um, I would maybe put that to him. I would go, so George, you know, how come I don't like you? <laughs> and then I'd be wearing my steak after that. So, and quite rightly too. And then so, yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, Absolutely. Absolutely that. Absolutely. Yeah, there we go. There's another estate that I won't be getting asked to, to collaborate with in the, in the near future. <laughs> James Bond, I love James Bond. Again, if anybody from the from Ian Fleming's estate is watching, yeah, I love James Bond. I'm more than happy to more than happy to, to write a Bond novel for you. That's 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 fine. Just don't ask me to do 1984 too. Would that be 1985? Yeah, or, I don't or is, know. It, is, is that how it works? Is that who who knows? Who well, I've not read it, so don't don't ask me. I've I've just explained why I've not read it as well. So there you go. I've read it and I mean, you know, it was all right, but I've read better books. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. That's listen, that's it. Phil K. Dixon, I, I, just as I mentioned there, Philip K. Dick. I, I you cannot I cannot find fault in, in the ideas behind Philip K. Dick. It's just the execution for me. And interestingly, I've I've spoken to a lot of people who who agree with me. And I'm not just saying that because I'm feeling constantly marginalized I, i've spoken to a lot of people who find you know particularly the man in the high castle for example you know it's badly written but the idea behind it you know that the concepts behind it the ideas that have been discussed in it and raised in the conversations and all those it's exactly the same as 1984 you know i'm not i'm absolutely not decrying what what the what the book's all about a uh, animal farm as well um i just i just find that a tough read and 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 i've got loads and loads to that I need to get through for various reasons, and I'm just not inclined to, just not inclined to go back. I'm afraid. So I would, I would, I would say that to him. That's what happens when you're a journalist. Jur- journalist, journalists expect. You know, he 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 was a journalist. He expects me to talk straight, straight, straight talking journal journalist on journalist action. There you go. That's. I feel for the feel for the rest of the uh, the rest of the restaurant. <laughs> Oh, I'd like uh, to fly in the wall when that conversation well, happens. I, th- I think you'd more likely be a fly in the soup, unfortunately. <laughs> but it's, uh, everybody's out having a lovely time when the two of us are, are, are having a right old Barney. He's got my tie like this. I'm trying to put his head in the soup. Oh, it'll be <laughs> carnage. Absolute carnage. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> you asked. You I asked, did. Donna. You I asked. know. <laughs> That's going to make me laugh for ages. <laughs> <laughs> if you were able to travel to any period of time, either forwards or backwards, where would you go? Oh, that's an easy one. Uh, I'd go to the old west. I've always fancied myself as a bit of a uh, bit of a, cow- a cowboy. I was going to say coward there. I, I, I don't fancy myself as a coward. I am a coward. I'm a massive coward. I'm the biggest cowardly custard you're ever likely to, to come across. Um, 
which probably means that the old west isn't isn't quite for me, you know, given that it was it was a fairly dangerous and horrible place. Um, I, yeah, I've always I always always wanted always wanted to go to the old west. Love love you know love love western films. I haven't read an awful lot of western fiction actually. I don't I I've not never never really never really gotten around to it. But I I'd, I'd, I'd love to go to the old west. So you know late late nineteenth century when it's when it's the proper you know it's it's proper frontier stuff and 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 you can go about and be like a gunslinger and, and go uh, uh, go um, trying to find gold and rivers and all this kind of carry on. It all it all takes back it all takes back to actually a, a pretty traumatic experience in my childhood. Um, I wanted to go as Indiana Jones to a school Halloween uh, disco in like primary three, primary four. So I would have been what seven, something like that, six or seven. Um, and my mother, bless her. Uh, went out on her lunch break to get me an outfit, and she went to the Disney store up in Glasgow, which is very, very sadly gone now. But it was, it was here for like thirty odd years. Um, and she came home, and she said, "My grand used to pick me up. Uh, my grand used to pick me up from school, and then my mum would pick me up on her way home from work." Uh, and she said, in the cars we were driving up the up the road to, to our house, she said that uh, I've got you know I've got your Halloween outfit, Jonathan. It's what it's, it's what you wanted. So I was like, oh, fantastic! I'm I'm going to get to go as Indiana Jones. What is it? Is it a, is it a, you know leather jacket, hat, the, the bullwhip, and all the rest of it. And we get into the house, and she brings out the Disney bag, and and I was like, mm, don't is that is that how it works? Anyway, continue to continue to buy into it. Uh, she opens up the Disney bag and brings out this cowboy outfit, uh, which again was fine. Now this predates sort of Toy Story, so it's not Woody. It's you know it's it's, it's nothing like that. This is this is about 92, 93 maybe. Um, it was a waistcoat that was kind of plasticky, uh, and a pair of trousers with chaps already sewn into them with you know Mickey Mouse dressed as a better cowboy than this outfit I should point out with the lasso and all the rest of it but the the, the, the defining part of it for me was it was a white plasticky vest red bright red trousers with the with the, the, the chaps sewn in but they had like little yellow frills so that whenever I moved they were like slightly behind that sort of inertia so from a distance I looked like I looked like I, I looked I looked like I was you know what were those reels that you used to get you know that you spin the top and you can see the horse galloping. It looked like I was a second behind myself from a you know from from a far distance, and a, a white stetson uh, which had the which had the thrills uh, thrills rather um, thrills for thrills. Uh, it was the single worst Halloween cost. I am yet to I'm yet to see in the subsequent thirty odd years I am yet to see a worse Halloween costume than than that, and I had to go. To this school disco. In fairness, nobody, nobody really. I, I wasn't ripped for it or anything like that. I, I'd given myself the business. I mean, I think, I think everybody just pitied me for rocking up in, in that <laughs> outfit. Um, funnily enough, I've tried to find it. I've tried to find it on the internet. You, you know, all these years later, and I can't find it anywhere. And I think people don't. I've told this story to friends and, and family and all the rest of it. My mother denies it. My mother denies that this happened, and that that means it definitely happened. Do you know what I mean? That that was the that was the the, the that was the <laughs> that was the defining moment. The closest I've come, the closest I've come to finding something that's kind of similar to it is I don't know I don't know how familiar you are with the third Back to the Future movie, which is set in the old west. There's the bit where Marty goes back from the fifties back to eighteen eighty five. 
and he comes out of the 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 dock has set up the set up you know the the, the space to drive the DeLorean to 88 miles an hour and all the rest of it and it's at this outdoor cinema and it's themed cowboys and indians and marty comes out the the, the wonderful uh, michael j fox comes out and he's wearing a very very similar style outfit that's got the frills and stuff like that so it, it was clearly a thing at some point um and I can't find it on the internet. I genuinely can't find this outfit. I've searched for it for years now, and I cannot, I cannot find it anywhere. So hopefully, if someone's watching this and they know this outfit that I'm talking about, they can, they can point me in the direction. And it's concrete evidence that I can take to my mother and say, Exhibit A, you made me go as a Mickey Mouse cowboy to a Halloween disco when in the early nineties, and I have never recovered from it to the point where we get fast forward to twenty twenty two, and I'm being asked, "What year would you like to go back to?" And I'm saying the old west, just to try and erase that memory completely. So let's hope time travel gets invented uh, fairly soon. Um, or in the past, it's funny how it works. It's, you don't you don't quite know if it's if you're you don't quite know if you're coming or going when it comes to time travel, do you? <laughs> yeah, I'll just stay where I am. I think it's safe. <laughs> yes, <laughs> quite. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, who was your first celebrity crush? Oh, uh, oh, blimey. Um, I can't think. My first celebrity crush. I don't know. Harrison Ford, maybe. He was, he's, he's a he's a pretty handsome pretty handsome man. He's still still. Still hands Indiana Jones. What I wanted to be wanted wanted to go as Indiana Jones to Halloween. Han Solo as well. I, I don't think I've ever. I don't think I've ever quite gotten over. Get, quite gotten over, Mister Mister Ford. Um, funnily enough, I went to a. We were in a. We were in Los Angeles years ago for a for a, a for a family holiday, and I met his son. His son's a chef. I think it's his son from his first marriage. So you know, he was—he's he, he's, a—he's a—you know—he's a fully grown man. Like, like he's older than me. Um, and I met his son, who's who's really nice, and looks and talks exactly like him. He—he's he, like—he's like a big—he's like a big big celebrity chef. And he was doing this—he was doing this like sort of street, uh, the street food um, festival. Uh, uh, and he's a lovely guy, really really nice guy, and a very very good chef by by all accounts. Um, that's a tough one. I think, yeah, I think it probably is. I think I think it probably is. Harrison Ford. Yeah, why why not? Why not? Never quite gotten over him. <laughs> oh, how how could you though? How could you? He's he's a oh, good good looking man. Good looking yeah. man. Absolutely. <laughs> um, where's the funniest or strangest place you've ever woken up? Oh, that's a good one. I remember. <laughs> I remember waking up in a in an underground car park once, and it, it's it's not a, it's not quite um it's, it's not, it was it was it wasn't like a random car park. The the flats that we used to stay in when I was a student um had an had had underground parking, but they also had like an underground underground parking bit that was never used because the lift was always broken. Um, and I remember coming home from a night out one night, and uh, my flatmate. I'd lost everybody. Everyone, everyone was lost. So this was about four o'clock, five o'clock in the morning. I think um, that's how late it was. It was so late it was early, as my uh, my late grand used to say. Um, and I remember going home and getting to the flat. Eventually, staggering back to the flat. I, I should again should add that I was I was pretty intoxicated at, at this stage. Uh, that I, I wasn't just out. You know, I wasn't just. I don't I don't roam the streets in the, in the middle of the night. There was there was a very good reason for me being out of that that late stroke early. And I went to the front door and I unlocked it and I opened it up and the chain was on. So I was like, oh right, okay. How 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 does how does that work again? How does how does that 
how's this going to work? Now, bear in mind, I had I'd had no contact contact my 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 friends or flatmate that had been out that night, and so as I'm trying to work all this out, the alarm goes off. So I figure, right, okay, the alarm's going off in the flat. He'll wake up, uh, realize the error of his ways, come and un unlatch the door and let me in. So I close the door, and this goes on. Now it felt like I'd waited a good you know forty minutes, but it was probably in reality only about ten seconds. And I opened the door again, and the alarm's still going off, and the chain's still going off. So I'm like, right, how, how's, how's, how does this work? Like, there has to be someone inside the flat <laughs> for, for, for the chain to be on, for, for me to not be able to get in. So that means that someone, there must be at least someone in there to come out and unchain, you know. And now I should, again, should add that the alarm that we had was deafening, absolutely deafening. This, this thing would have, would have quite literally uh, raised the dead. Um, so this goes on for like another 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And I'm furiously phoning my flatmate. Nothing, nothing, nothing. It was only two of us. It was only, it was only two of us that, 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 that lived together. Um, nothing. The alarm goes, the alarm's go, the alarm goes on so long that it actually turns itself off. And then when I open the door again, it sets itself off. So, it, and again, I can't, I'm, I've got my arm in trying to, trying to, you know, reach around to get it. Doesn't work. That doesn't work. Thankfully. I mean, at the end of the day, it was, if anything, it was a test to see how, how robust our security system was. And it was pretty robust. So it got to the stage where I thought, right, well, I don't know what's happening here. I'm so tired at this point. My hangover starting to kick in. That's how long it's been. Uh, I just need to get some rest. I need to find somewhere to shelter for the evening. So I thought, right, well, I'll go downstairs to the car park. But then the downstairs, the underground car park was exposed to the, to the uh, you know, it had like great you know, grilled windows. That were, Again, I think this might have been the dead of winter as well. But I remember that there was the underground, underground, uh, and that was all completely sealed off because that was below below street level. So I went down there and I took my coat off and I hunkered down in the uh, in the in the little alcove round from the lifts, um, and I fell asleep. And I woke up about I think two and a half hours later. At this point, it's nine o'clock in the morning. People are getting up and going to their work and all the rest of it. Uh, and I went back upstairs and I opened the door and it was still locked. But this time, my flatmate emerged, and he had the cheat to go. Where have you been? <laughs> I said, where have I been? I've had to doss down. I've had to sleep rough, pretty much, kind of, not quite. Um, well, what have you been doing? He said he didn't hear the alarm. He said he was so, he was so uh, um, out of it that he didn't, he didn't hear the alarm. He didn't see my phone. He didn't hear my phone calls. He didn't, and I like, I mean, the thing was, if, if he wasn't, I, I've known, I've known my flatmate, he's my best friend. I've known him since we were five years old. If it had been anyone else, I would have, I would have strangled him where he stood, or indeed poisoned him, as we've discussed. Um, but I know what he's like when he's had a drink in him, and I could very, very, very easily believe that he genuinely didn't hear, didn't hear the alarm, which is, which is incredible and kind of scary, kind of dangerous. You know, I'd always hoped that if a smoke alarm had gone off, he would hear it because I'm quite a deep sleeper. No chance, no chance. So there you go. That was a very, very long-winded roundabout way of saying the strangest stroke, funniest place I've ever slept is an underground car park. Um, well, I don't think I have any more questions for you unless you think there's anything I haven't asked you. you no, I, it's been it's been very, very robust, very thorough. I, I hope I hope I didn't bore you. I hope I didn't bore anybody <laughs> that's that, that's watching this. That's that's always a panic, particularly when I'm getting asked about you know. Um, how I would murder people. So there you go. 
bore them bore them into tears is the uh, is probably the best answer. Um, do you want to show your book off and tell everyone where? Oh yes, get certainly. It Hold on, I've got a copy here. <laughs> uh, where are we? I've got one on my shelf. There you go. It's the Bingo Hall Detectives. It's available now, and you can get it from uh, Amazon, Waterstones, a uh, lot of independent books booksellers are selling it. It's also available in Tesco and Sainsbury's. Which, uh, which I'm delighted about. And uh, it's from Harper North, the wonderful people at Harper North, who I cannot thank enough for all of their support and energy and just general wonderfulness behind it. They've been so, so supportive. And uh, it seems to be going well. Everybody seems to be enjoying it who, who's read it already, which is long may that continue. Um, it was an absolute delight to, 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 to write. And uh, yeah, I hope, hope everybody enjoys it. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. And uh, where can people find you if they would like to, if they'd like to get in? If anybody wants to be bored to the tears electronically, <laughs> they can get me on Twitter. I'm at JDWhiteLaw13. That's the number 13. And I'm also on, uh, it's the same for Instagram, at JDWhiteLaw13. And I'm also on Facebook. You can get my author page, which I think is Jonathan Whitelaw Author. Uh, so facebook.com forward slash Jonathan Whitelaw Author. Thank you very much. Pleasure. <laughs> Absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me.